This is a Burn FM podcast. Hello everyone and welcome back to episode two of Can We Just Talk? I'm Emily. I'm Esme. We have a lovely guest with us today, uh, Sam, our course friend. And she is an expert on mental health. Well, we think she is. So. Expert is in like little rabbit ears, just so we're, qu- <laughs> so we're clear. So this week's episode, if you hadn't already guessed, is going to be on mental health and the massive problem surrounding that in the UK and with a bit of a more focus on students as we are all university students. So I thought we'd just start it with some statistics because everyone likes some stats. So let me get those up. I'm so ready. So according to Mind, the mental health charity in the UK, one in four will experience mental health problem at some point in their life. Uh, One in six will report a problem in any given week in England. One in five have suicidal thoughts and one in 15 attempts suicide. And that is highly gendered with women more likely to experience suicidal thoughts, but men more likely to attempt suicide and overall they say that only one in eight people get help from 1993 to 2014 common mental health issues such as anxiety depression like ad i think adhd is included in that kind of panic or the ocd that's it rose 20 percent. so this is why we thought it is a that's a lot of stats that is a lot of stats (laughs) quick stats there (laughs) they were good stats i enjoyed those stats but it's obviously an issue that needs a lot of discussion it's something that i think has increased in its i mean you see it more often on on the media and you see more charities and you see such as royal patrons now going for mental health as their main goal, which I don't think you saw early 10 years ago. We're mainly just going to go around our three questions. Esme, do you have those there? Okay. Sam, let's go to you first. Why do you think it's important we talk about mental health? That is a great question. Quite a broad one. So yeah, it's a really good question. Why is it important that we talk about mental health? Well, I think like, as I'm sure you're both aware, one of the biggest issues with mental health is the stigma that that exists around it in the UK um, and elsewhere. We have this idea that if there's something wrong with your physical health you go to a doctor you get prescribed a sort of treatment you do that treatment and that will make you better but when it comes to mental health we don't have the same mentality punny um <laughs> around that and it is seen as something that a few decades ago you didn't talk about uh, you know a few decades ago i don't think there was this understanding of what mental health is the fact that everybody has it like everybody mm-hmm. has mental health the same way that everyone has physical health and that i think there's an idea of if there was something wrong with your mental health that meant there was something wrong with you like you were flawed in some way and so people didn't want to talk about it and there was this real stigma around talking about it which meant that the people who were struggling with their mental health found that they were struggling even more because one of the biggest things that helps with mental health issues is talking about what you're going through and so if you can't talk about what you're going through then that is just going to exacerbate the issue and I don't think that we are rid of that stigma yet Mm -hmm. I think like that stigma has massively reduced for sure but I do you know I was speaking to someone yesterday who was like oh you know but like this whole mental health thing, like some people in the younger generations just take advantage of mm-hmm. it. I was know? I was about to come back to your point with that. I think it's, you have a, a decrease in the stigma, but at the same time, I think that's coupled with an increase in people reacting badly to it and saying, oh, you're just weak. And then you have all these traits being like, you're just weak, you're feeble, you're, you're feminine. Especially just comes like the gender problem with like men talking about mental health is seeing like, that's not butch or masculine or what men should be doing. Mine say uh, mental health is just like physical health everybody has it and we need to take care of it and it's being able to think feel react in ways that you need and want to live your life and when obviously you have poor mental health it's all of those that are affected but i think that is the huge issue with mental health we're in a weird zone where it's definitely getting better but we still have this like backlash to it that's also hard to tackle like i think for me 
what I've noticed in friends recently or just people I know is that there's more talk about it but it's not necessarily leading to action like I know quite a few people that study around mental health and someone I know recently has only just started going to therapy about it and they've said it's such a big step because you know I study it and I know the issues but it's taken me this long to actually go for help myself even though that's the field I want to go into in the future so it's like even the people that know about it it's still a struggle for them to admit to themselves that they need help Mm -hmm. yeah I mean I was literally the same because I've been saying for years I think everyone needs counseling I stand by this every Mm -hmm. single person in the world needs counseling for something and the whole stigma around counseling I think is ridiculous and yet it wasn't until last week that I actually self-referred myself for counselling because I think that was because I tried to get it in first year at uni and it's mm, a struggle here yeah I had to wait I think four months for a singular appointment and then never heard back about a follow-up one and so I just sort of was like well that avenue is closed to me and the NHS is such a long way and I think I just never really considered it and I've always said you know everyone needs counselling get support for yourself and then suddenly last week I was like oh my god I should do I should do that and I did and I'm proud of that yeah and I think that's so true because also how we see mental health handled in the UK by our governments uh, over the years has been very much it's it's not ignored but it's a very minimal support and it's like the last resort when they're talking about say healthcare everyone automatically thinks of like oh we need to cut surgery waiting times we need to cut this we need to get people's physical health back we need to reduce uh, obesity you know all these health indicators uh, we've seen the closure, of mass closure of mental health hospitals uh, throughout the years, which means obviously way less support and funding for this uh, sector of healthcare. And I think this is reflected in the struggle, like you just said, of trying to get an appointment with the National Health Service, which should realistically be there for anyone at any time. You're then going to also worsen the stigma and worsen the issues surrounding mental health if people can't access it because then they just will hide away from their issues themselves. So they'll think, oh, it's, I can't even do anything about it, so I'll internalise it. There's also like massive issues of intersectionality here as well because... I know that when, if you're 17, they won't refer you to CAMS because by the time you Should get Should just explain through, what CAMS is? Sorry, CAMS is the Child um, and Adolescent Mental Health Service in the UK. If you are just past 17, they probably won't refer you to it because they'll say by the time you get through the waiting list, you will basically be an adult. And so CAMS won't see you when you're over 18, but they can't refer you to the adult mental health service because you're not an adult yet. So you're stuck in limbo for this kind of gap where and you know 17 is a really vulnerable age for a lot of people Mm -hmm. particularly as well I know that this has been an issue with trans individuals one of my friends was trying to seek support their mental health but also support as a trans person when they were 17 and were they were essentially refused help along the same grounds because they couldn't see the adolescent service because they were already over 17 but they couldn't be referred to the adult service because they weren't an adult yet and unfortunately for a lot of trans people in the UK that comes with a lot of mental health issues including increased suicidality because we have such rampant transphobia in our society Mm -hmm. and so a lot of young trans people are incredibly vulnerable and aren't accessing the services that they should be able to access Mm -hmm. and of course as well you have you know issues with race like we know there are statistics on the fact that black people in the UK are way less likely to access mental health services Mm -hmm. but also for far more likely to be turned away from mental Mm -hmm. health services that I think it 
12 times more likely to be sectioned under the Mental Health Act than white people. Mm -hmm. um, and sectioning isn't always a particularly helpful thing. Mm. There's a lot of issues within this for, for different groups of people within this as well. Yeah, I think this comes back to the report came out recently saying that um, we need to, the government needs to support mothers, children, anti-bullying in schools and adult mindfulness. This was a study done by uh, the Mental Health Foundation and with London School of Economics and Political Science, uh, which found that the poor mental health costs the UK government 117.9 billion a year, equivalent to roughly 5% of the GDP of the United Kingdom. And 72% of the cost comes from lost productivity of people being out of the economic system due to their health issues. But I, looking into what you just said, I was thinking when reading this article is, do these suggestions for improving mental health really actually target the problem? They don't target the core of the problem, really, like anti-bullying in schools, yes, should always be there. But is that targeting really why children are anxious and stressed or you mean there's bigger things at play here that I think often mental health policy because it comes from a history of being marginalized and people don't really want to talk about it it doesn't address the core problem and that's how you you get into problematic attitudes around mental health I don't know if that yeah. made any sense but well, no like so my mum's recently qualified as a play therapist and her whole role is to go into schools and just basically offer her services there for any child. Obviously you need par parental consent, so that's one of the steps forward. The parents have to be willing to let their child go into therapy, which is a whole issue in itself. But she is saying how instantly she's gone into all of these schools and there is such a need for it. And, you know, growing up, there was never really anything for us. Either there was sort of the, I don't know, a teacher who would, wasn't an expert in anything, but if you had a problem, you'd be referred to them and then you'd talk to them about your problems. But it wasn't really an actual... There wasn't a system in place, yeah, yeah. to um, deal with that. And yeah, my mum has just highlighted how there's a massive need and she's like constantly in demand. But, you know, she's one person. She mm -hmm. can't take up every exactly. child it's too much even mm -hmm. on her to just do it so i think in terms of schools i think it's a good idea for policies to start mm -hmm. there mm -hmm. but, but then there's no funding you always get yeah, back there's to no there's funding. no funding. but there is magically funding for things that then appear more in line with what the government want to do and that's why i think you know when what dr alex george from love island everyone knows him but a, a qualified nhs doctor became the mental health ambassador for the government I do think something like that is a really positive step because he has a huge platform and he I really does seem passionate about, I mean, I'm obviously not his best mate, I don't know him personally, but he's passionate about <laughs> mental health and also reduce that stigma. It's, it took how many COVID lockdowns and everyone's mental health really dramatically declining and was it ever mentioned in the press conferences of what was going on? No, we were never talking about mental health. We were just talking again all about physical health and not addressing this problem. Issues like that with what your mum is doing. It's again, where is that in actual, you know, edu in the education system? There's just not the, the, the discussion there I, I don't see it happening so that brings us on to our next question actually so do you think the covid pandemic has made more people open up about their mental challenges um i think it has in some respects so as you both know, I obviously do some work in mental health. I've seen definitely an increase in the number of people who need the services and who need support. But I think, I don't know if I'd have the same insight if I wasn't doing that work. I think I'm quite open about it generally. So I think like with my friends, we tend to talk about stuff a lot. And we did talk about how hard lockdown was for people and for their mental health. Um, but like you said, Emily, like when these press conferences were happening and they were announcing lockdowns and Chris Johnson was weighing up all of his different options for all the parties he should go to while we all sat at home. There didn't seem to ever be a consideration of the fact that when lockdowns 
have happened, suicidality has increased massively, domestic abuse and violence has increased massively, um, anxiety and depression have increased because being trapped within the four walls of your home, quite literally, can be incredibly difficult depending on someone's home life. It can be more or less difficult for them in terms of their relationships and who they're with. Loneliness is a massive thing. I did my first year project in land, loneliness and young people. And it turns out young people are actually lonelier than old people in a lot of ways. We think about old people being lonely when they're like by themselves in a care home in their houses and yeah that is a form of loneliness but we actually found that there is an epidemic of loneliness among young people who are surrounded by people Mm -hmm. and yet they feel lonely and I think as much as social media was a huge benefit during lockdown because we could call each other and we could do zoom quizzes and we could have catch-ups and I, you know, you could have contact with people outside of your house, even though we were in lockdown, if you were lucky enough to have a phone and to have access to social media. I do think social media is incredibly toxic. It's an incredibly mm-hmm. toxic place that has had a huge impact on mental health. And I think when older generations say things like, no one was this depressed in my day, we're all making it up. I don't think there is enough understanding or respect for how enormous the impact of social media is Mm -hmm. on our lives. The fact that at 23, I already feel too old to achieve anything because all I see on on social media is 17 year olds who have published their third book um have the perfect life have already bought a house like you just are surrounded by people doing better than you and also a lot of misinformation as well oh my god it's all exactly I, th- I think yeah. i think this whole topic because i mean obviously big tech is only really starting to come into political debates on how we monitor and track and control data what other side of how it impacts human behavior and how everyone feels i mean that's still so under acknowledged and it's again like I say the old, older generations that grew up in a time where you didn't have your phone and if you didn't have social media then you're not completely like left out you don't know what's going on in the world and the debate that all your friends are so you kind of have to be part of the debate has a huge impact on how we feel day to day and what our lives are like like our lives have literally transformed and how we do everything realistically but there's not been much give for understanding how this impacts people i think it's it's interesting like my research at the moment for the dissertation does look at how it's not social media is just contained to social media it's as you were sort of talking about it's all these corporations now are expanding social media into the offline world through other ways of they're seeing what's popular and they're seeing what gets likes and they're seeing what's getting attention and so putting it through marketing products advertising everywhere we walk or every way we go about life is changing based on social media it's just reinforcing to us over and over again it's not like you can go offline and sort of like you can but you can still go offline and be surrounded by the same images and the same messages now Mm -hmm. on social media it's the fact that our generations because we have our smartphones with us our laptops with us and we are constantly confronted with this playing into the fact that we have to see across the world flooding in australia bushfires in america severe flooding in china long as well as this as well as that as well as that all the time 24 7 on your phone on your laptop on the tv thing i think what we don't give enough credit to is how hard it is to exist right Mm -hmm. now it is so i've said this so many times and i stand by it it is so hard to be a person right now in this world mental health 
ties into literally everything that we do all the time. It ties into our interactions with each other and our friends and our family and our acquaintances and strangers. It ties into our work ethic and the way that we feel able to tackle the work that we have to do, whether that's uni work or paid work or volunteering. It ties into how able we feel to do our hobbies and pursue stuff that we love, our physical activity and our ability to um, actually physically do anything. Like it literally affects everything that we do so there's that affecting everything and then you just have the fact that like you say there's this overwhelming stimulation all the time most of which is bad news because as Mm -hmm. the media loves to say bad news is good news we don't want to hear good stuff apparently like psychologically speaking bad news intrigues exactly and people want to look at it so the headlines are negative every single day and obviously there's horrible stuff going on in the world and you know with what's happening in Ukraine at the moment is terrible and the impacts that that's having, you know, the anxiety in the last week, the fears, the increase exponentially at something like this. And we don't know how to help anyone. Like we don't, we still don't know as, you know, as individuals, how to support each other through something that we're all going through. And then, you know, you have the people who are maybe quite good at supporting other people who are naturally empathetic, who, you know, naturally are just people that others want to speak to about how they're feeling. And it becomes a massive drain on those people because Mm -hmm. everyone they know is coming, you know, is coming to them and telling them how they're feeling. And that person quite often doesn't have anyone they can go to because everyone's coming to them. They know how hard everyone else is struggling and they don't want to put how they're feeling on anyone else. And so you get these individuals who are taking on everybody else's like mental health struggles and trying to balance their own and so I just think there is so much going on all the time we're all dealing with so much and the world quite frankly isn't the nicest place to be at the moment Mm -hmm. and it is so so difficult to just deal with everything Mm -hmm. on a day-to-day basis and I think that's why we need to be talking about this more that's why we have to reduce this stigma because the more we talk about it the more people will be interested in it the more people will seek out ways to help each other and themselves you know the more people we might get going into careers and therapy and counseling and mental health support which means there'll be more support available and more people will seek that support and it will become instead of that vicious cycle it might become a more helpful healing cycle Mm. yeah just so on that note then what do you think is the biggest obstacle in the mental health industry in getting is it the lack of talk or is it more that like the funding side the, like there's the structure yeah, yeah, yeah of how it's set up and how we personally i'll just throw my hat in first it comes from chronic misunderstanding of mental health in, in my we don't see it how we should see it and this then this then leads to so many other problems of therefore it's not funded properly people don't compare to physical health which as you said your physical health is hugely impacted by your mental health so what, what would you say sam i feel like every conversation i have comes back to capitalism but i pinpointing the biggest barrier i think is almost impossible because unfortunately i think there are so many barriers there's so much getting in the way of us proactively and productively helping each other with our mental health but but I think so I read this fascinating book really recommend called The Paradox of Choice by Barry Schwartz and it was written in 2004 and so it is quite outdated in terms of how it talks about consumerism just because consumerism has progressed so much in the last 18 years he doesn't even talk about online shopping and obviously that's massively changed how we consume capitalist consumerism is making us so unhappy and this book is fascinating because it tells you it really educates you on the ways that it's making us unhappy and we are literally and metaphorically buying into it because 
the system, it, you know, it works for the 1% for us to mm-hmm. buy into the system mm-hmm. that makes us unhappy because it makes them money. And also, you know, so that's the capitalist part. And then the patriarchy, like, you know, you mentioned earlier really briefly, like the problems of gender when it comes to mental health. The patriarchy harms men and women and everyone in between. And I will say this, I will die on this hill. The patriarchy (laughs) sucks for everyone. Literally nobody is benefiting from the patriarchy. The idea that like masculinity is being strong and emotionless and never showing how you feel unless that feeling is anger is so Mm -hmm. damaging for men and people assigned male at birth and people who identify as male who really you know struggle to have any to find spaces where they can talk about this stuff who are raised by other men who tell them that they shouldn't be showing these emotions and also women who tell them that they shouldn't show or feel the ways that they do um but it also expects women to be emotional in a way that isn't necessarily compatible with the ways in which women and people assigned female at birth and people who identify as women actually do experience emotion and the ways in which we deal with mental health and so creates this very dismissive environment of the hysterical female Mm -hmm. who's just oversensitive who's overly emotional there is still a huge issue with like misdiagnosis of female health issues within the nhs yeah yeah can i just add into that point it It was i was listening to elizabeth day's podcast how to fail um with gloria steinem but she was talking elizabeth day about her fertility issues and how um gloria steinem she doesn't have any children either active choice elizabeth day she was saying it was more of her you know she actually felt a failure as a woman and going through the system of, of trying to uh, conceive a lot of male doctors made her as like an object that wasn't functioning properly as a machine to produce children this plays into exactly what you were just saying it's just so harmful on so many levels and it is it's on my hope is at some point maybe when generate younger generations become the powerful figures instead of the you know 69 year old putin starting war and facilitating this macho you know violent image will things hopefully change in in that sense as maybe that's been way too much hope and enthusiasm it's, on the younger it's, generations it's but complicated yeah. like you're basically like the societal structures changing that there's so many things that interact with one another like us internalizing these gender like roles plays back into reinforcing it and then that is cycle mm-hmm it's it's hard to challenge but as you say because our generation hopefully we hope is becoming more progressive and i guess we're sort of seeing it but i guess time will tell when we get to the future hopefully by that and by more exposure to all these different challenges to the societal system that's when we'll see it but it's all very delayed isn't it like we're not going to see it for a very very long time i mean fundamentally i completely agree with you capitalism and patriarchy are awful systems I haven't, I mean, I've worked for the 1%, or not even 1%, the 0.01% of of realistically white heterosexual males. Probably very pessimistic in that sense. I don't think, oh, great great grandchildren's lifetimes that that will change. I don't know, maybe that's being really pessimistic. But I think maybe what could we say that's more things that could improve the situation? I Like you said I, at the beginning, just talking about it, I mean, you know, as small as this podcast is, as we said in our first episode, just actually opening up the discussion and three people actually sitting there saying they've uh, gone to counselling, I have anxiety problems, everyone has their own thing that just no one talks about. Just at starting this discussion and keeping it going and raising just the awareness. Just being ashamed. Yeah, exactly, yeah. But I think, you know, as, a, as uni students, bringing it back to uni, 
uni mm-hmm. because that's our kind of our oh. current lived experience our bubble <laughs> i think one of the major issues at the moment is that universities across the uk see us as cash cows mm-hmm. and they see us as nine thousand two hundred fifty pounds a year that's what we are not human beings we mm-hmm. are a chair i think there is yeah I, and i will say this to anybody who ever asks me i think universities are disgusting places at the moment and as much as i adore our course i love liberal arts at the U- at uab like i love our department i think the universities do not care one jot about their students or the mental health of their students and that's not to say the individual lecturers don't care some of our lecturers are amazing and so so lovely and really really care for us as people but the institution as a whole is not currently functioning in a way that allows it to give a monkeys about how its students are doing and the money that we are getting ourselves in truly tens of thousands of pounds of debt to give them you know the money that they are receiving the fortune that international students are shelling out is going into at UOB essentially a bunch of new buildings that we'll never be able to use because we'll have graduated and increased an increased paycheck for the vice chancellor and the pro-vice chancellors and you know a bunch of other funds that do we ever see the benefit of I don't know because the university won't be transparent about where our money goes mm-hmm. but it doesn't go into counseling or well-being services we don't see any increase in funding or publicity for any of those services and I think that's such it's such a shame and it's so baffling to me because I think you know if the universities actually want good results and they want more people to come to the university and they want to then care about your students and mm-hmm. help us because we will do better at our degrees like mm-hmm. if we're gonna if they're gonna be cold and calculating and capitalist about it fine you will get better results from your students if you actually help them take care of themselves that is just a fact and it is baffling to me that they don't put more resources and more funding mm-hmm. into the resource you know the stuff that could actually help their students so so i think as students we often underestimate how much power we have i think like we take stuff sitting down because they don't to know that we actually have any power we are essentially paying customers of our universities indeed yeah and so we do have the ultimate control and if you can get enough people on side and you can you know kick up enough fuss and get enough people paying attention then maybe we can get the universities to reconsider their approach and actually hold them accountable for caring about or at least putting the business model of university that's gone away from its core of learning and making a better society in that sense towards i mean just consumers of a product but i think I, i fully agree with you that it doesn't take millions of people to make a change i think if everyone took a little bit of responsibility on themselves that is in a situation where they can and they're fortunate to do that and have the time to even if she's just doing the smallest thing on your own social media platform or, or writing that email writing showing your discontent showing that you're not happy with how this this product has turned out to be people can just you know each try and make a change i really do believe that good change can happen i also think like speaking as students we talk about the mental health of students but also like look at our lecturers like you say mm-hmm. going on strike i've had a lot of conversations with lecturers over the last few weeks who feel as though i had one chat with someone who was like if I don't strike I'm a terrible person and if I do strike I'm a terrible person and I feel like I can't you know whatever I do I'm wrong and I'm letting someone down and I think we don't think about the fact that like they are striking because their pension scheme and their pay is Mm -hmm. appalling they are not getting again what they need to get from the university who again are just not paying them enough because it's all a money-making scheme it's all about profit I think their profits was in the times recently I was saying it was 
billions. It was absolutely shocking. When also students were learning online, students were not having access to their campus that they're paying for. An atmosphere that engaging the jet like with the mental health is just not addressing the core issue that is there. Yeah. And I think it will really take until everyone takes it on themselves to really get so strained by how society lets us live. In so many aspects, this isn't just related to this university, that people really do go, out, right, we've had enough. And we are seeing more protests, but then we're seeing the government pass, you know, the protesting bill where you're arrested for, you know, mm. speaking. I mean, I do know the nuances, but I can't think off the top of my head. You listen to things that you'd see in authoritarian states that we're supposedly <laughs> obviously not. You do feel a little bit lost, but this is a very depressing note to end it on. But I feel like I'm trying to wrap it up with the good thing that everyone does have a voice and everyone can make a difference then let's go for a positive note let's go for that there are so many people out there who do want to support others and there are loads of services are there to support people you know like samaritans mind nightline if you're a university student pause you know there are so many services and there are really specific services all around the uk as well so there are services specifically for lgbtq plus people for people of color for people with neurodivergence people with disabilities people who are uh, survivors of assault people who are feeling suicidal like papyrus is a suicide specific helpline and you have so many organizations that people don't know anything about and all the people there are so passionate about actually being there for people who are struggling what we can all do is do your research, find out who's there to support you, find out what services exist and, you know, share them, share, you don't know. I think that's the fundamental thing is you never know, even among your family and friends, who needs that help, who needs that support. So share the resources that you find, make sure everybody is aware of where they can turn to if they need someone to turn to. And I think the other main thing that we can all do and we should all do is really invest in supporting ourselves. I do not <laughs> practice what I preach because I'm yeah. always telling people to do this and I don't do it myself. Really fundamental stuff. Like, yeah, maybe for you, self-care is a- Exercise. Exactly. Yeah. Like, Anything. it could be going for a 10-minute walk to clear your head. Yeah. It could be putting your work down 10 minutes earlier and reading something just for pleasure before you go to sleep. Mm. It could be having treating yourself to that really nice meal that you really want. It could be catching up with a friend uh, and it, not getting wrapped up in that you have to do something with every yeah. second of your day which during COVID oh. lockdowns we became so much better at realising how we functioned and what we needed to function that I think since life has resumed in inverted commas we have raced back at 110 miles per hour to being like oh no I missed out on this so I have to go to everything I have to do all this and then realistically this is leading to burnout that we're seeing in so many so many areas I think that as much as you know there are all these services and so many people who want to support others and we should be really aware of them and we shouldn't feel ashamed to use them but I also really think we need to be emphasizing more looking after ourselves and if you were sick you wouldn't go into work if you were physically sick you wouldn't go into work if you're mentally not well you know try and think about it on the same vein like if you broke your leg you would get it put in a cast and then you would put it up until it was recovered try and think about your mental health in the same way mental health is suffering you have to do something to recover from that and assume it's going to fix itself because it won't a broken leg does not fix itself you have to put it up you have to rest it Mm -hmm. so try and put your mental health first and your well-being first and go what do i need to do to feel better and to look after myself and to look after myself more proactively in the future so I don't get back to a bad place if I can avoid it. Exactly. Knowing how to bounce back from feeling 5% maybe or 10% back to normal at 60 or is that 80? Like yeah, your normal the... isn't 100. Exactly. Say it louder. Exactly. It's like that saying like you can't, what is it? You can't <laughs> pour from like an empty pot or something like that. A jug. Pour from an empty oh, pot. I love that. Cup. Is that that's how, I feel like that's how we should end it. <laughs> well, it's me throwing that in there.
everyone yeah thank you and that was thank you so much sam yeah. so um again this is why can we just talk is here to literally talk about issues that need highlighting more um thanks for listening everyone and please tune back in for our next episode which will be on climate change and environmental issues bye